Welcome to the Marketing That Generates podcast hosted by yours truly, Lauren Powell. For over a decade, I've partnered with business owners around the globe to create and implement their digital marketing strategy. Working together with their teams, we generate more leads, more customers, and more revenue. I'm here to make your business growth simpler by making online marketing simpler. Every week, I'll be interviewing other business owners about the strategies that are keeping their marketing relevant in the long term, so they're not hammered by monthly algorithm adjustments. So are you ready to generate more leads, better leads, and more sales-ready leads online while making the most of your oh-so-valuable time? Then this is the podcast for you. Are you tired of being promised the magic pill that's going to solve all your online marketing challenges? Well, this podcast does not promise quick overnight fixes, nor a one-size-fits-all marketing formula. Instead, it will empower you to think differently and more strategically about your marketing so that you get better results. So whether you're a business owner, solopreneur, or an aspiring entrepreneur, listen in and subscribe for zero fluff and actionable takeaways. And for bonus resources, go to marketingthatgenerates.com. In our current podcast series, I interview the owners of four very different operational businesses, and we dive deep into their marketing. Today's episode is the second of that series, and I interview Amber Slaughter, project manager and owner of The Project Architect. Amber brings 20 years of corporate project management to the table and brings all that hard-won expertise to creatives and agencies, helping them to increase profit, create smooth projects from start to finish, and improve the client experience. Instead of over-delivering and being consistently underpaid, Amber helps her clients get paid for everything. In this episode, she shares more about her incredible services, as well as explains some of the marketing lessons she's learned in the transition from corporate employee to business owner. Listen in and don't forget to visit the show notes to get all the links for this episode. Thank you, Amber, so much for being here. Thanks, Lauren, for the amazing introduction. Um, I'm excited about being here as well. Yeah, and you just do such amazing work. And I think, um, you know, I just want to kind of shine a light on that and talk about how you help creatives with their systems and processes around project management and kind of specifically what problem that helps your clients solve. I know we touched on it in your bio, but thought you could dive a little deeper. Sure. I don't actually like calling myself a project manager, hence the name, the project architect, and it's kind of a play on words. As I found a lot of businesses may not know what a project manager actually does. So I focus on the the thing or the problem that I solve versus the title. But I really think a lot of times when I find businesses or when they've come to me, they're focused on the tool. The tool is going to solve all of their problems and not really thinking about all of the systems they have in place, what other systems they have in place, the processes. And then there's also um, the people, which is the most varying of them all. They really haven't factored in the people. So what I generally do is come in and, and at least evaluate. Let me see how your business kind of is operating and do what, what, you know, what, what's known in corporate as a SWOT analysis, um, to try to get and figure out, you know, where you're good at things, where there's opportunities and then how we can work together to address those. And that's kind of where, where it really starts in terms of how, how do I know what the, what the magic solution is that helps um, businesses achieve some of the things that you you referenced in my in my bio. So that's one. And then I get a feel for, you know, what are their processes? What kinds of things are they doing with their clients? Some of the biggest things is, you know, what's your velvet rope process for 
client onboarding and offboarding. And that's really where a lot of people lose a lot of money is on the onboarding part and on the estimating part. Um, they've overpromised in terms of what they've estimated. So they've said, this is what we can do, but they're not actually charging what they're worth. So we lo really look at, you know, what are you charging for the work that you're doing? Do you have things like scope management outlined in your statements of work that you send to client with say, once we sign off on X scope, this is what's going to happen as and when, you know, you, you change things that are outside the scope of what, what's in that document. And I find that that's a lot of places where um, creative businesses are losing money. They're happy they have a client, um, but then they don't want to go back to them often and say, hey, this is different than what we agreed upon. And also because they haven't documented that in any contractual way so that a client can reference back to that. So that's one of the places where you know I really help people is to solidify on the estimation side, making sure they have an estimation tool so that they're making sure that they know and understand what their profit margin is. Um, that's another thing that's kind of unknown. Like, what is your profit percentage? Like, what do you want that to be? And really help help businesses to work around that. And then looking at your people and processes, what are the inefficiencies that are costing you money? If you're hiring third parties to do a lot of your work in your business, we all want to get paid for work, right? So are there, th are there areas where they may be overcharging and the work's not getting done or you're underestimating and it's taking longer to get done. And then there's nobody that kind of pulls all of this together and does what I call herding cats to make sure one, we're delivering to the date that we promised and we're delivering with quality um, kind of what we promised. And then the last aspect of that, which I just alluded to, is quality. Do you have a great quality process in place to review um, any of the work that's going out to your clients so that you're not getting back a lot of rework because rework eats into your profitability because that's not work that you plan to do. You have to pay more of your third-party resources if you have them or that's more hours that your hourly employees are kind of charging you. I could listen to you speak forever because there's so much gold in that. So I'm going to kind of pull out some of the pieces that I think our listeners, you know, will be most interested in just kind of highlight the common threads here. So, you know, what I hear is the uh, unifying thread is that top line revenue doesn't always equal profit. And when you're growing a business, when you don't have all these things in place that you have just mentioned that you might be bringing in a certain number of, you know, a certain amount of revenue in the door, but are you keeping it? And are the projects profitable? Are you charging enough to make sure they're profitable? Because that's the whole point of having a business in the first place. Exactly. And then the second thing I hear, and I'm curious to get your take on this, but some of these things um, that you mentioned are very standard in other industries, signing off on scope of work, change orders, increasing fees when there is a change in project scope. But for whatever reason, it doesn't always feel so standard in, in any sort of creative industry. And I'm just wondering if you might speak to that a little bit. It's a couple of things. And again, a lot of it's just in my experience and working with a lot of creatives. You know, a couple of my clients have actually said, you know, that they didn't feel like they had the voice to really come back and do that. And part of the problem is they didn't have that in their statement of work that, you know, any language around how scope changes were going to be handled. And they didn't really have a voice to come back to their clients or they were afraid that they were going to lose the clients. If they came back to renegotiate the fees, they continued on delivering 
on all of the requests from their client, which say, you know, we're going to continue to do the work, but we're not going to charge you anything. And so therefore you're, you're eating into your, your bottom line or your profit for that project. So I, I, I honestly think a lot of it is fear. It's not in their contracts. And I don't mean for all, I think, you know, fear maybe comes from the place of I've worked with a lot of I'm female creative business owner. So there's a fear about charging what we're worth. And that's a part of what I do. And it's kind of a unique spin on what I do because I'm also um, a certified coach by the International Coach Federation. So I do find that along with, you know, the operating things and project management things that that I can also help business owners kind of see through where they're actually holding back and not instituting some of these things. And it may not even be a lack of knowledge it's a, a voice or, or a voice of empowerment that allows them to go back and kind of do that. So, you know, my approach is really to, to, to talk to and speak to the whole, whole business, including the whole business owner, which I think really helps me to, to be successful. But I think it's a variety of reasons. I think, you know, for, from, for the majority, it's not in your statement of work anywhere. Um, and then for some, it just could be lack of voice you know, to, to, to be empowered to go back to their clients and say, Hey, this is actually a change from what you asked for. And then the third reason is you didn't get sign off on the scope to begin with. So there's no hard stop with your client to say, we're no longer in the requirements gathering or scoping phase. We're in the delivery and we've reached an issue. So that's sort of the things that, that I help them to, to solidify as well. I think that bridge between the business and the whole business owner is really important because at the end of the day, we're humans uh, running organizations. And sometimes it's hard to see what internally might be holding us back and therefore the business back. And I think your coaching background is just this beautiful blend of serving your clients exactly where they're at and with what they need in order to take that next step. Agreed. And, you know, there was this piece in your bio when I read it that just like... (laughs) hit me like a gut punch, but it was like, let me just read it one more time. Uh, You mentioned when you're stuck feeling frazzled, overworked, and like every day is just a race to the finish line. And I just felt like, oh my gosh, I could feel exactly what that would be like for a creative. And when you're in that moment and not having enough profit, it's not even like you can hire help (laughs) to to take on that work. So I just see your what you do is such a beautiful gift because not only uh, are you bringing more profit back to the business, but you're also creating space and systems for growing the team so that the work is more equitably spread around, if that makes sense. So I I think you, you're, you're spot on. And I think that's also where the coaching piece comes in, you know, and I get everybody can't, you know, there's different levels at which you know, I, I work with people, but I think if you're, you know, if, if you're a company that doesn't have a team of people, I think it's great to start with. Let's, let's figure out what's working, what's not working, what we want to start, stop, start, continue so that you can get your revenue where it needs to be and kind of enable you to, if you're bringing in a lot of clients, but you're not keeping a lot of that money, let's shore up those holes so that you can hire people to offload some of the work that you're doing. And I know in the beginning, that's really hard because you're trying to cover, you know, you're trying to cover yourself, essentially paying yourself a salary, or maybe you're not even paying yourself a salary and everything 
that you earn is going back into the business. And so you're at the point of frustration. And usually that that tells me there's something that's broken that we need to go back and fix. And that's kind of where, you know, the first part of where I started, you know, starting with an assessment of what's going on in your business will really help to create you know, a solution that works well for you because I'm not a believer in there's a one size fits all approach to how, you know, how, how project management can help them or enable um, them to grow their revenue. I love that. And in general, if you're a creative person, you like uh, finding creative solutions. So the fact that you're able to help do that and not say, hey, here's a cookie cutter approach and you need to fit in this box, I think is really important for your target target audience. It is. And if, you know, if a creative business owner needs only one thing, it's somebody that can generally help them to execute. I'm a big proponent of rocket fuel. And if you've heard of it, basically the gist of it is there's a visionary, but the visionary also needs somebody on their team or their personal board of directors or within their company that's really good at executing because we can't all be you know, we can't all be visionaries and coming up with solutions. We need somebody that's going to take these things um, and kind of execute and get it across the finish line. And that's really where project management works really beautifully is you can take those things and break them into manageable chunks to really get to the finish line. So you're going from ideation to actually delivering, even if you're in the the beginning stages of your business, you can still, you can still use somebody that is an integrator and that does execute Whereas you're probably overly frustrated with the thing that isn't really true, true to who you are. And that is the execution piece. You you want to, to dream it and believe that they'll come, but then you also need somebody that's going to get it out there so that you can, you can bring in those clients and that revenue. Beautifully said. So there was something you mentioned earlier that I'd love to touch on because you and I have had private conversations um, about this in the past, but People thinking that a tool alone solves uh, these kind of systems and processes uh, problems. So, hey, uh, um, what's the best tool for me? Is it Asana, Monday, ClickUp, Trello? And thinking that that alone is going to create a project management process. And I'd just love for you to touch on that a little bit. And I'm kind of a... I don't know what I would call myself. Maybe I'm an anti-tool person, at least to start. I know there's a lot of people out there um, that are providing business owners input on, you know, what tool they need to use um, to be able to be successful and to kind of group and categorize their information. There's so much, so many experts, and I'm using air quotes out there that are, there that are telling you that the tool is the thing and the tool is not the thing. The tool is just a thing. As I said, you're going to implement it. Maybe you implement it incorrectly. But if you don't have a process around how you want to deliver on your client projects or client work, the tool does nothing for you. Um, so there has to be a process there. And yes, I can help you select a tool and, and pick what's best for you. But first, we have to define what is the process for how you're going to deliver to even determine you know, which tool is going to be a better fit for you? I know Trello is everybody's go-to, but Trello is not a project management tool. It's a list management tool. Um, and I see a lot of business owners using Trello as like a project management tool of record, but it also doesn't enable workflow. There's so many other things that can kind of automate and make your processes for delivering for your clients so much easier. But it always starts with, okay, well, what are we doing now? 
And then how are we going to do it later? So mirroring uh, or matching what's working in your current state and coming up with that future state process that then you can say, this is my process. These are my requirements. Now let's go figure out which tool best suits my requirements. So it's like the chicken or egg conversation with the tool. Yes, you probably need a, a place to brain dump and that's a different conversation then what tool do I need for my project management? I think the the tool selection for how you manage your client work, what your repository is for your task to deliver your client work is a different conversation and always comes after you've done the, the, the current state versus future state processing of how you want to deliver. Yeah. And I think it's a question of, you don't know what you don't know. You know, I think people reach for tools because they don't have all the knowledge that you have, but once they try and fit whatever it is they're doing in the tool, then it becomes pretty clear, like, <laughs> oh, this isn't working in the tool or outside of the tool. Like, <laughs> what's going on? You know, Asana didn't fix everything for me. But I think it's important to recognize that the tool can sometimes be acting as just a shiny object, but isn't necessarily creating processes for you if you don't have them in place to begin with. Exactly. And that's where I get a lot of calls that say, hey, I implemented this tool. And, you know, this is, I was told by this air quote expert that this is going to fix all my problems to be able to have a tool to store all of this in, but it's not working. Why is it not working? Now, and it's like, now come help me figure out why this tool isn't working. Did I not implement it correctly in the first place that I'm always going to take? The first place I'm always going to take my clients to is let's look at your process. Is your process for delivery efficient? If not, let's figure out how to fix it. And then we can go in and reassess if it's Asana, which is, it seems to be the hot tool now. If it's Asana, then now let's build a workflow and a process within the tool that helps you, that enables you to, to follow this process that, that's been designed. I love that. And I think it's a really important distinction for anyone who's listening is, okay, I may have a tool to help coordinate work. But do I have a process in place? And if I do, does the process need to be perhaps optimized or improved or modified so that I can keep more profit in the business? Because just because you have a process in place doesn't necessarily mean there's profit on the back end of that. Correct. Process doesn't it doesn't stand alone, right? It helps you identify what you want to stop, start, continue. But without the actual application, even having a process means nothing. So I know some people are probably saying, well, we're clear on our process. And then the one thing that I would challenge is, does everybody know what the process is? I have found that to be the case a lot is that you know, the, the business owner thinks, well, we already have a process in place. Well, how many new people have you brought on to the team via contract or employee that now don't know what the process is and you've kind of left them alone to figure to figure that out, right? So now they're eating into their delivery time to figure out how they operate within the confines of this process that's in place that you think is working well that not everybody knows. Or even I've seen and I'm no project manager, but maybe everyone knows it, but people are fighting with the process for whatever reason. It's not, it worked for one person, but it's not working for 10. You know, I think things change as, as organizations get bigger. Exactly. I think that's true all around. Um, Again, it, it could be communication. It could be lack of input into the process to see if it works. I mean, that, that could go a number of ways in terms of how we, we kind of diagnose that. But I think the biggest thing is, you know, either it's there and not communicated or it's just not working. And that's where 
we get the holistic view of what everybody feels about the process and input from the team to ensure that we have a process that's going to continually work. And then on top of that, now we're creating this onboarding experience. So these are all the things that some people don't think about, and they certainly don't think about it in relation to project management. But how do I onboard new people onto the team? How much are you as the business owner spending on onboarding new team members because you also don't have a process in place for that or something that you can just direct people to and say, here's a list of all of these things that need to be done so that you can onboard somebody new documents they need to read contracts they need to sign how they invoice like all of these things that is a repeatable very repeatable process in your business but if you look at the business owner that's trying to do these things if you know what your hourly rate is multiply that by the number of hours that you're spending onboarding and that's money you're not lose you're losing going out and finding new clients or continuing the customer service experience or that red velvet rope experience with your clients, you're taking away from the business owner being focused on the client and doing operational work as opposed to having some level of automation or process for onboarding that can be done for anybody and everybody in there, in their team or within the company. I wish you could see me because I'm just like nodding my head vigorously (laughs) over here. But, and I'd love for you to speak a little bit too about, I think some people can um, feel a little constrained by automation or repeatable process, but maybe speak to what that frees up when you have some things that are automated and repeatable, what, what else that frees up in the business? Sure. I think, you know, the main thing for the business owner is you get to continue focus, focusing on what brings money in the door versus operational things. It also maybe brings to light that maybe you don't have a role within, you know, your business that, that helps to onboard team members or gets them on projects, but it really focuses you up, fo- frees you up one to do the thing that brings money into the business because nobody else in the business is likely doing that depending upon the size of the organization. And then two, it also frees you up to actually do self-care. A lot of small business owners lose the whole concept of, yes, I'm in my business. Yes, I'm making money. Yes, I need to pay myself, my employees, my contractors. But then they're also pouring from a cup that's already empty because they're overwhelmed and frazzled and doing everything. Um, So that also takes away from then the business owner, particularly since most creative business owners are visionaries, it takes away from their ability to step away, to recharge, to take care of self, to come back into the business, energized and bringing the expertise of the thing that they really bring to the table. If it's passion, if it's the, you know, whatever their thing is that they bring to the to the business that, you know, inspires their team to continue moving forward, they're no longer doing that. They're doing things that one aren't even things that they're wired to be able to do, like being an executor or being a person that's delivering or project managing or whatever, whatever those lists of things are. The visionaries that I've, you know, I've worked with and I've talked to, they would sit there and struggle for weeks, months, and sometimes years trying to figure out how to make that work because one, they don't know that there is there is experience out there that is called and often in, in a lot of fields, project management. They don't know what a project manager is and what one can do for their organization. So they don't know that there's talent out there that can help them to do that. And then to take it a step further, um, somebody that really works with the whole organization, not just one facet of the organization as well. 
beautifully said. And so let me ask you a question about that, because I sometimes see people in the creative space get confused between project manager, COO, OBM, and even sometimes like, hey, let me just have my VA do this. And can you share a little bit more about what you think the difference is between those roles and when should a business gravitate towards a specific role or towards project management? Sure. I think, you know, in looking at and identifying some of the differences in those three roles, your operating officer or COO is just that they're in how the business works. They might be looking at, you know, your financials as a whole. How do they keep the lights on? Like anything operations is usually focused on keeping the lights on. And I think I put, you know, OBM or online business manager in that category while they can do and even VAs for that man, that matter. They're, they're tend to be focused on what keeps the lights on. Um, from an operational perspective. And some of them, that's not to say that some of them don't have the project management skill set. But for me, when I think about operations, operation is what keeps the lights on. Um, and then your VA could be any, any number of things. They could be, you know, their technical VAs who can, you know, change your content on your website. They can actually execute. They can, you know, they can do your client scheduling and maybe they do have project management as a skill set. But what, what I think are the pattern that I hope you're hearing is that's not their primary responsibility and the primary responsibility loses out the ability to look at the overarching um, aspects of the business where project management is looking directly at the thing that makes you money. So let's talk about, let's look at all the way from client onboarding to offboarding. What does everything in between look like? You know, let's go back and look at your revenue. Let's go back and look at your profitability per project and, and look at some of those details. And that's kind of what a project manager does. So not only can they come in and kind of do a look back at, you know, what your project's profitabilities were, does that align with your profitability percentages that you said you wanted to make in your business? Um, and then, okay, let's figure out what went wrong. Was it scope changes? Was it, you know, you went over, you didn't estimate enough, you didn't know how to estimate. So you just kind of gave a number that looks to be right. And I think we, we gravitate to round numbers or the 999 logic that everybody knows, but we're not actually using an estimation tool that's going to validate is my, my thumb in the sky winging it kind of estimate. Does that, how does that feel when I go use an estimation tool that actually gives me something to go through and numerically find out, um, you know, how does this feel against what I've already, what I've already quoted? So, what you'll notice is project management really focuses on the revenue generating aspect of your business, which is your client work. Um, if you're an agency or any small business that has client work that I'll, I'll call projects or use the word projects to define, that's where a project manager really focuses on making sure that you're delivering on time, on budget, and then managing everything in between. So if that's not working and, and it's not well oiled, then that's where you're leaking money. Whereas with an OBM or a VA, and again, doesn't mean that they aren't or can't be project managers, but again, they're delivering the outcome of the project, but may not necessarily be looking at where you might be leaking profitability throughout that whole process. Yeah, someone shared this phrase with me the other day, and it's what keeps coming to mind as I'm listening to you, but they're kind of making the sausage, but not looking at, are we making this sausage in the highest quality, uh, most efficient, most profitable way? Right. That's exactly 
It's a great um, analogy for what the project manager does. Not only do we execute, we're also looking at um, all of those things associated with your process and then speaking to to me, you know, in the project architect is I'm looking at where along this, this pipeline of client delivery to offboarding, are we bleeding money? And then how do we fix it and continue to get better every time we deliver? I love that. So let's say someone's listening right now and they're like, okay, I, it's clear. <laughs> I need some project management help. I think I want to reach out to Amber. What are some of the couple different ways? Because I know you meet people in uh, at different stages of business. What are this couple different ways that you do work with creatives, creative agencies, and organizations? Sure. I think it all starts with a consultation, right? I want to make sure that one, you know, that I can actually help you. I can do a lot of things, but there's still some creative businesses that I'm not going to be a good fit for based on where they are. Um, but there's kind of three entry points depending upon where, where the organizations are. The first is, you know, just this operations project management audit and SWOT analysis that I referenced early on kind of in the interview. That gives me some, a picture of what's going on in your business. And then the output of that is here's some recommendations of things that you need to do. These are the things that you know, I would recommend that you need to resolve that are going to directly affect your profitability. And let's say, you have a team of people and you feel like you may even have somebody who is um, or you're using the title of project manager, project coordinator, VA or OBMS. So let's say you have those resources in-house and you want to you want them to be able to do the work, but you still want the expertise of somebody um, of a consultant to help guide them along the way to make sure that they're getting getting there. That's kind of the second entry point. So we spend, you know, three to four hours you know, a week in your business for a fixed amount of time while they work to implement. And I'm kind of making sure that it's going the way that, that, that we thought it was or that we outlined. And then the third and final ways, maybe you, you could or couldn't have a team of people and you're just either too busy doing the thing that brings money into the organization and delivering clients. And then you might say, you know what, I just want to outsource this all together. So go fix it. Um, and then we can go through a training exercise to get the team up to speed on what it's going to be. Or, you know, I've even had, you know, a fourth way, which is a little bit of a one-off as, you know, I don't have a project management wing. I now see the need um, for that in my business. Now I just want to outsource all of my client delivery project management to you and you work with my team to kind of guide them through the process of delivery. And then there's a fourth and kind of final way is maybe you, you're at the place where you have a process and you feel like it's working and the team agrees it's working. Now you need help with tool selection and implementation of that tool. So I'm a certified solutions provider and a number of tools, Asana, Teamwork, um, and Smartsheets that I can leverage those tools or any other project management tool out there to help you implement a tool, train your team so that they become the experts on how the, how, how the project or how the tool works and then implement it and kind of walk away. So those are some of the entry points. And then there's this kind of fifth one out there is maybe you need something that's custom outside of that. And I can certainly do as well. But those are the, the four primary way, ways I kind of work with clients. I love how not every organization is the same. Not They're not the same in size. They're not the same in need. They're not starting at the same point. And so I just love how your services give everyone an entry point. And they can kind of grow into some of the bigger things if they're not there yet, or they can just say, hey, I just need some 
immediate one-off help. Can you come in as a strategic advisor, help us clean this up, and then let's run with it for a while before we come back to you. I just think it's a really beautiful way to serve and help your client. Well, thank you. And hopefully, you know, that's been been a service. As you said, everybody is in a different stage and they need different things based on where they are. Yeah. And, you know, I wanted to ask you a little bit about your path to this business because you have worked in corporate America for so long and kind of what, what inspired you to venture off on your own? You know, it's kind of funny. I worked, as you stated in my bio, in corporate America in a number of industries, you know, delivering project management for about 20 years. And then you know, I went to a conference and you're probably familiar with it, um, the 90 day year live and, you know, and just talking to business owners and hearing, they don't really even understand what, what a project manager is, let alone how, you know, how they can, um, how they can actually leverage one in their business. And that just said to me that there's a segment, you know, in the small business space that really does need project management, but either maybe doesn't know what it is or they know what it is, but they're not really sure how it helps them in their business. And so that was kind of an aha moment for me is that, you know, a scaled down version of what corporate does. And you, you know, corporations, while they have their their downsides, but from from the perspective of being able to deliver, they do that very well and they execute very well. So being able to take some of these best practices and apply those to small businesses to help them to get to the place while they may not be, you know, uh, an oil giant or, you know, a health, large healthcare company, or they may aspire to be, but wherever they are, um, there, there is a skill set that's been identified, um, in project management. Um, they can really help them get where they need to be and fine tune how they're delivering with their clients as well, as well as holding on to, you know, that revenue that they're bringing in the door by way of profitability. Yeah. So you saw this opportunity to have high impact, the scaled down version of what you've been doing in corporate America for so long. Exactly. Yeah. I love that. And I I last about three years in corporate America. <laughs> you lasted 20 and I just find that so impressive. There's so many things that are wonderful and there's so many things that are challenging in that environment. And so I imagine kind of being able to cross the bridge between corporate and then starting your own business feels probably very, um, well, actually, I don't know how it feels, but I find it impressive to be able to do, to be able to do both. <laughs> It feels strange because I'm the opposite of, you know, who we've talked about. I serve in terms of business owners. I am the executor. What was frustrating for me was to have to step into this visionary role and figure out how do I take what I've just learned about this and build something which has evolved since 2017 to what it is now. But how do I take what I know this gap is and create a business around it and then figure out how to tell people what I do and how it's going to help them. So it's taken me a, a really long time to get to the space where I even actually know how to tell people what I do without using the word project management in a way that if they don't get project management, but the way that I'm communicating to them about the problems that I can solve, you know, kind of got me there. So I kind of had the reverse problem. Um, it was very difficult for me to step into this visionary role and the whole marketing concepts which is so like new to me because I've been in corporate America. I know nothing um, about these things, but over the last, you know, since 2017, I've learned so much about being a visionary and all of the things that, it, that come with 
attracting clients. That's also something, you know, that I'll share. I don't call myself an expert on it, but I'll certainly share, you know, what I've learned if it's helped people. But I kind of had the reverse start as somebody that's already starting as a visionary and just needs someone to execute. It probably gives you some empathy for an understanding for what your clients are going through to kind of be able to cross that bridge between both sides. You know, I think, I think that's really fascinating. And what I was noticing about your bio and really loved is I think you only mentioned the word project management in there once. And it's this four or five paragraph bio. And it's so beautifully shared how you help people and what you help them with without saying project management. And I just think it's, it's really well done. And you can see that you've really nailed the language on how to speak to your target audience. It took a really long time <laughs> and a really special set of people, uh, that, including including Lauren, that really helped me to to hone all of that because the frustration, same frustration, just opposite of trying to figure all of this out and be the visionary when that's just so not the space that I operate from. But the thing that I do, I do know and that I tell my clients is that you are not equipped to do everything in your business, nor should it be the expectation that you're responsible for every single thing. And and the term you have to spend money to make money never made sense to me until I was a business. (laughs) So not me. I need to find somebody else that can do this without all of the time and energy. I'm same thing, my, my clients are doing time and energy trying to be something that I'm not. I need to figure out there's got to be somebody else out here that does this way better than me. And so that's kind of my process for how I approach everything in my life now. I, you know, I calculate my hourly rate times the number of hours it's going to take me to do it. And if it's greater than a specific amount, I'm like, there's got to be somebody out there who can do this better than I can. Okay. First of all, I love that exercise. <laughs> um But second of all, I do think sometimes that is the challenge as business owners as we start needing to wear all the hats. But then at some point, we have to take off some of those hats. And sometimes it starts with just, you know, hey, we need someone to advise on something, on marketing, on project management, or whatever. But then at some point, we have to hand off the hat completely and let someone else run with it. And I imagine that's sometimes what you see with your clients with project management. Okay, first, maybe I need to come in and help bring their team up to speed a little bit on project management and bring the business owner up to speed a little bit, but then at some point they're going to need to hire someone to help execute on this. And I think the same thing happens in marketing. We can't all wear all the hats all the time, but I think you've done a beautiful job learning how to speak the language of your target audience, which is arguably sometimes the hardest part of marketing and can take the longest. It's it's not just you who feels like, oh my gosh, this can take a long time <laughs> to nail. I just know it wasn't, you know, I know everybody has overheard this word zone of genius, but I just know my thing. And it took me a really long time to figure out that it wasn't my thing. And I'm like, I just don't know anymore where to go or how to do this. Somebody else has to know more than me. And I think that's one of the things that business owners have to sit, you know, and and it's a classic corporate term, return on investment. Like look at your return on investment, which is exactly how I, how I classify everything in my life. What's the return if I'm going to do it versus if somebody else does it. And you kind of know, have to know what your breaking point is. At what point does it make sense for me to focus on this thing where I'm not an expert that takes me away from the thing that I am an expert at? Where are you going to make your money? And you have to decide, okay, I need help. Now let's figure out how to identify the type of help that I need. And, the, you know, this speaks to 
why I don't usually refer to myself as a project manager. It's like, okay, so what problems are you trying to solve in your business? I'll really help you to identify what kind of help that you need. If you're really struggling with operations and how to keep the lights on, there's a skill set of people that fit that. If you're not making the money that you need to make or the return on your projects, your profitability is low. You have all of these projects, all of these clients, but you're still not able to pay yourself and you still can't step away from the business. There's a problem. And then there's an expert out there to fill those gaps. So you just have to really take the time. And, you know, I, I do this every year. I do my own party of one strategic offsite and I figure out, you know, at the end of every year, okay, what worked, what didn't work, what do I need that I don't have and really try to identify where my problems are and determine, is this going to be worth me going to learn the skill if I don't have it to deliver it? Or maybe we need to invest some funds and being able to find somebody that is. So um, I do that with myself because I just know I don't know it all, Um, but there's somebody in each of these buckets that's going to be able to solve your problems throughout the various stages of um, your business and how you grow your business. You just have to stop and think, where where are my problems? Am I the person to solve them? Do I have that person internally to resolve it? If not, then let's figure out what kind of skill set I need to help with that. I love that. And I love that distinction of should I learn this skill or should I outsource to someone else who already has it? Because I think there's many times benefit in learning the kind of foundational language of the skill so you know what questions to ask, but it's not always a great return on investment for you or me to spend the time learning a skill from soup to nuts and expecting to become an expert on the back end of that, right? People take, you've taken 20 years (laughs) to become a project management expert. If I went and was like, okay, now I need to add project management to my skill set, let me go spend 20 years on that. Like that wouldn't make sense for my business, you know, but I might want to learn some of the language so that I could hire you and bring you into the business and make sure that I'm, I'm understanding what's happening so I can make informed decisions, but I don't necessarily need to be the one who learns the skill. Right. And, and business owners really have to take the time to step away and say, okay, well, what problems do I need to solve? This year is that the same stop, start, continue um, context that, that we use to help identify where we need, you know, where we might need expertise. Um, business owners should be doing that, if not on an annual basis, a biannual basis to start looking at, you know, where, where are my problem areas? Do I have the expertise and how to do them? And then figuring out where I need to go find those resources so that you can get the return on your investment faster than having to invest in you or someone on your team becoming the expert. 1000%. So Amber, you have, in my opinion, this great free guide that can get people some really great wins on the front end of their processes, really their estimates, which I know you and I have talked about is probably the first place where a challenge is created is if you underbid a project, you've created this whole ripple effect on the back end of that that leads to low profit, high stress, and a number of other problems. So maybe you could tell us a little more about this guide and if someone's interested in, you know, going to check it out, what it'll help do for them. Sure. Um, So it's kind of, you know, a a six step process for how you actually estimate. And, you know, this, I think a lot, a lot of it comes from the knowledge comes from my work at corporate. Like there's many quantitative and qualitative ways to determine how you estimate. Um, And this guide really provides you, 
you know, those approaches, both qualitative and quantitative to help you to really look at your numbers. Even if you come up with that initial swag, swig, I think this is this, then let me go try this numeric approach to coming up with my estimate to see how well they work together. And then you go with the greater of the two, because you should always be plus or minus 10% um, in your in your project estimates in the event that something happens. But, you know, I really think this guide is, you know, it's an immediate application kind of tool, not just something that maybe it works, maybe it doesn't, but it, it, you don't even have to go search for what are these ways that, you know, I can do estimation. It's an explanation of all six of these approaches for how you can estimate um, a description of how you can do it. And then in some cases, there's a calculation associated with that and all of the calculations associated with how you get there. So, I mean, it's something that, you know, one could download and use. Let's say you're on the the verge of, you know, getting a new statement of work out. This guy can really help to validate is the estimate that you have in your statement of work. How does it align with some of these these methods for how I can go about estimating and then, you know, applying those going forward in your statement of work. So I see it as, you know, getting started on the right foot, even if, you know, the in-between all the way to the end isn't working as efficiently as you want. At least, you know, you've covered yourself with what your estimate is plus a 10% contingency for anything that happens along the way. And I will say there are a lot of people, while not in the guide, it's just a tip there are a lot of people that don't factor in their project management in their estimates. You have someone who is not a moneymaker in your business. They're not building anything. They're just executing your client work. And while that is a value add, that is not a money-making thing. And people think project manager is so expensive. It's a title that's in corporate. It's going to be expensive for me to hire that person. Not when you're actually factoring in project management into your estimates. Now, it may not be that your client knows or it's a line item on your statement of work, but you've actually taken and project management in general. I think the, the rule of thumb by percentages that 20% of your overall project estimate should be for project hours. So that's a good calculation that you can use if, you know, 20, you know, if you have 20 hours. Um, of project work, then two of those, you know, four of those should be spent on project management, right? Four plus. I'm not great at math on the fly, just so you know. <laughs> four of those hours should be dedicated to somebody guiding the delivery of that project. And since it's not a money making mechanism, then you factor that 20, you know, that 25% into your estimate so that you're covering the cost of having that outsourced resource for somebody like me, or you're having or covering the cost, potentially covering the cost throughout your projects for the year, you know, having somebody on your staff that is either an employee or consultant is delivering project management. That's how you're going to offset your expense there. And there, there aren't enough people who are, who are actually thinking about that as a way to offset a purely, purely expense um, type of role, but one that is value add for how well you deliver to your clients. So that's kind of just a tip off the cuff as well as since we were talking about statements of work, but the guide that, you know, that was rest referenced in terms of estimating um, can be found on www.theprojectarchitect.com. There's also a connection, say you download the guide and maybe you just want to have a conversation about how I might be able to help. There's also a link that you can book a consultation with me just for the sole purpose of determining one, am I the right person for you? 
and for me to determine, you know, does what you need fit into the wheelhouse? And if not, if I have a referral that I can provide, you know, I'd be more than happy to provide a referral. But it just gives you an opportunity. If nothing else, you may walk away with some tip that you can apply that maybe, you know, maybe we work together, maybe we don't. But at the minimum, you'll walk away with something that is a value add after that 30 minute consult um, that you can go back and apply. Yeah. And I guarantee you'll download this, you know, six strategies to better estimates and find something that you can apply that you didn't think about. I love that it's immediately applicable to generating revenue, to generating profit, and then, you know, jump on a call with Amber and have the opportunity to talk through whatever the problem or solution is that you're looking for, I think is just an invaluable experience. And um, I highly recommend that you go do that. So Amber, I have two more questions to for you. But the first is you shared a little bit about, hey, I have some learning lessons around what it takes to find clients or attract clients. And I was wondering if you might briefly share a little bit of what that is, because I think there's so much to learn from other business owners, other learning lessons um, in in other industries. Sometimes we just kind of narrow our focus and say, okay, what is everyone in my industry doing? But so much of marketing and business and project management is uh, applicable across many industries. And I thought you might have something that's valuable for a listener to share. In terms of, you know, how my approach for attracting clients, you know, I went around the world in a day on that one and trying to figure that out. I think I started with where everybody thinks you're supposed to start, which is ads. But what I realized is I didn't really understand who my target market was. So definitely, and I know everybody knows this, so this is nothing new you know, really having a, a profile of who your target audience is that really helped me. I don't even run ads. Um, I probably never should to begin with. But, you know, for me or the type of business where I have expertise and I'm doing consultant, you know, content is really content, speaking, podcast, all of those things are are going to be where I can get in front of my target audience because of the expertise. I don't actually have a brick and mortar or or nor do I sell a an actual hardcore product that I'm actually going to mail out. So my approach is a little different. So I found that content and sharing that knowledge. And at first, you know, I thought, you know, well, who really wants to know this? And, you know, for me, I think, you know, it's, it's second hat or it should be. And I'm like, well, what if people already know this? I don't want to start telling people the same thing. But I found in a lot of my research that, you know, that, that people either know and they have a loose idea of and they want to learn more or maybe don't even know at all. So, you know, just share it and it, it is intended for who it's intended for. And, you know, that was kind of a personal block for me that was holding me back is, well, what if they don't want to know or already know, like, then what value am I providing? Um, and so that was a mental block. And that's also where, you know, the coaching aspect and I do from time to time coach myself, but um, that's where the coaching aspect of what I do um, comes into play as well. Um, just just go with it. So it's for somebody and who it isn't for, it won't reach or it won't, it won't resonate with. But you have to focus on who you're speaking to and just assume you know, that, that it's going to be valuable um, for someone. And then just just speaking. I used to be afraid of video and you know going live on Facebook or any other platform that used to be a big fear, fear of mine. So being able to get, you know, get in front of your target market, however that is. And for me, it's really about talking and sharing my expertise and, and speaking to some of the, the problems that I know my target market has based on the years of research I've had to, you know, to really narrow down those things is, you know, being able to speak to those things that are going to be relevant 
to my target market. Um, and then, you know, just speaking in general on, on a variety of topics, um, could be tools, could be project management, it could be, you know, estimation and revenue generation, but, you know, getting and just getting in front of people um, has really been key for me in a variety of ways, has really been helpful for me. And I, I've only learned that in the last two years. I knew it, but didn't know how to apply it. And that kind of goes back to the return on investment. How much time do, do I spend learning these things versus bringing somebody in that can get me a whole lot further than what I actually knew? So those are, you know, those are kind of some of the things. And then the biggest piece, which, you know, I did learn um, oddly enough, from Warren is referrals. You know, I never took the opportunity to not only go back and get the recommendation, but to also ask for the referral. And a good a good portion of my business now is referral based, either clients with our service providers that I've partnered with. You know, are, are a big part of my revenue, which is referral. And you can't just miss out on the referral, particularly if you're delivering well then you definitely want to go back and capture that recommendation and kind of quantify what they were what they were able to do for you in your business and then don't be afraid to ask for the recommendation and maybe you know and the thank you for the referral and the recommendation as well doesn't hurt but that was one of the things that I was leaving you know leaving money on the table because I didn't go back and ask for the referral or the recommendation as social proof of the work that I've done I think you've just shared like a lifetime worth of <laughs> marketing lessons and in, in, in what you just shared. And I so appreciate you sharing that. And I just want to say, I think I have this conversation about ads a lot because I think that not only are experts saying that ads are the fastest path to revenue, but um, ad platforms are encouraging you to spend with them. Free, you know, Google AdWords gives you a free coupon. Facebook will often give incentives for you to spend more with them. and I think for many businesses, it's not the fastest path to revenue. And it's actually a very complicated, <laughs> very complicated marketing channel. And I think it has its time and place. But I think for you and for many other businesses I speak to, it's often not the right time and place for ads. And I just really appreciate you sharing that lesson because I think it's something many people hear like, oh, I should be running ads. That'll just, business will just be coming. And if I, <laughs> if I start running ads and if only it works that way. <laughs> I wish it worked that way. So I just really appreciate that. And I love, I just think I love your piece about if you're delivering well, referrals are such a great source of business. And I think it's so true. One, hopefully you're delivering well. And if you aren't, then you need to hire <laughs> Amber to help you figure out how you can deliver better. But two, it's such an easy win. Like people have other businesses in their network where they're like, oh, so-and-so needs help with this. I know so-and-so needs help with this. They were just complaining to me about this problem. you know. And I just think it's such an easy opportunity that really does have a lot of return on investment for you because it doesn't require a lot of time or expertise or money to capture that referral. Exactly. So Amber, if you had to give one piece of advice to another business owner who's working on growing their business, what might it be? I think the thing that really resonated with me and, you know, you, you kind of already alluded to it and we talked about it is getting really solid on, okay, there's so many people in the market now doing what I do. I think they, they all saw the same gap, but what's the difference? And they're calling themselves many things and they could be calling themselves project managers, VAs, OBNs, and whatever other terms out there that are being used for delivery execution of your client projects. I just think 
the key for me is just really understanding one, who do I serve? What problem am I serving and why were kind of the three things that were really instrumental for me. It took me a really long time to nail my content. This is why I could never write anything and why it was just so all over the place because I wasn't really speaking to the problem that I was solving and who I was solving that problem for. So I think that was the biggest. And again, I think I said it last is, you know, leaving money on the table without asking for the referral or even the recommendation so that you have social proof of what you've been able to deliver. But for me, I think those are the two ways that, you know, I've, it took me a really long time to get the former, which is landing my messaging, landing the problem I'm solving and for who it took me a really long time before I got to that place and I was serving people that shouldn't that I shouldn't have been serving. It didn't make sense to serve. It wasn't profitable for me to serve until I got really clear on, you know, who I was working with. Thank you, Amber. I really appreciate your generous share of all your expertise and knowledge. Where can our listeners go to find more about you online and see what you're up to? Sure. I'm on LinkedIn as the project architect. And then I'm also, you can also find out about what I'm doing via the guide that's there. And then a consult from www.theprojectarchitect.com. All those links are in the show notes. So go check them out. Thank you, Amber, for all your time today. Thanks for the opportunity, Lauren. Heck yeah. You just finished another episode of the Marketing That Generates podcast. I hope you found a few takeaways that you can put into action right away. If you want more on today's episode, head over to marketingthatgenerates.com for show notes, links, bonus resources, and related episodes. Plus, if you're looking to connect with other amazing business owners just like you, be sure to join my free community. You can get access at marketingthatgenerates.com. Thanks for listening, and I'll meet you back here next week.